0: To the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and
1: welcome your feedback and suggestions at at americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection. Welcome to AI Today. I'm Brad Newman, your host, and this is a podcast for business lawyers about all things AI related, including corporate governance and litigation, brought to you by the American Bar Association Business and Commercial Litigation Committee. Um, Today, I am welcoming a guest who is not a lawyer, but super excited to welcome Courtney Abercrombie. Courtney was named one of the top 100 innovators in data and analytics in 2019 and 20, and one of the 12 brilliant women in AI and ethics to watch. Courtney is a top advisor to Fortune 500 companies on responsible AI and data innovation practices, and she sits on boards advising startups, universities, and other nonprofits. She founded Responsible AI Nonprofit, AI Truth, and is a founding editorial board member for Springer's AI and Ethics Journal. Prior to uh, doing that, Courtney led a Shark Tank style AI solutions incubator at IBM. And at the end, we're gonna uh, find out how we can contact her if you you wanna get in touch with her, but welcome Courtney, how are you?
0: Hey, I'm great. I, I'm really excited because I think, uh, I think it's the legal people that can really help us here in all of the, the cases of kind of AI that, that starts out with the greatest of intentions, but then kind of can sometimes go awry. And just, just I, I wanna make sure and say just right up front, I am a huge proponent of AI. I actually think that it's gonna really change our lives for the better, but I think we're just stuck right now in this AI Wild West period where we kind of all got to watch out for ourselves and we got to figure out how to help our help our lawmakers, you know, uh, help watch out for us. And then I think also it helps to have, you know, the legal teams that advise all of these groups on how to make better AI, the more informed that you guys can be about all of this stuff. And Brad, I know you're very informed on this, but, but, you know, for those who are just now starting to kind of dabble into it, you know, you can make a huge difference here. And uh so I'm really looking forward.
1: So, Courtney, first I'll say you're courageous because you're you're not a lawyer and you're coming on a legal oh, podcast. <laughs> but um, I, I know you are courageous and this doesn't faze you at all. So uh, I've been thinking a lot about what I would pick your brain on. And in light of the new Biden administration and uh the senators' letter. To the EEOC, I think a good springboard to start getting your expertise is to sort of colloquially call this the AI hiring issue. And I, I and I know you and I have briefly talked about it, but not gone in a depth. But, you know, last month, uh, 10 senators sent the uh, the head of the EEOC a letter urging her to use the powers of the federal agency, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, to take a very hard look at companies using AI tools for recruiting and hiring. Um, First of all, just what's your sense of that? I mean, what's your gut reaction to 10 powerful senators writing a letter to a a regulatory agency saying, hey, look over there and do something? What's your gut reaction to that?
0: I think that the floodgates are just starting to open, (laughs) honestly. I think the letter was just a way of um, starting this process in one area where AI can be used um, in ways that affect and disparage people. And I don't, and and look, I want to say this up front. I, I don't think that people purposely try to uh, bias against people or anything like that. So I want to say up front that I don't think that any of the builders of any of the hiring solutions that use AI today. um, And in case you're wondering, and you want to just look up a few, um, I'll just, I mean, there's ones that are doing this to the best of their ability. Um, I think Pymetrics, for example, is one of these that's really trying to do a great job. I think I think there are others who are who are trying to shore up the gaps that they have but let's just face it AI is is it can be used in a very biased fashion if you're not careful and the reason this happens is twofold i mean one we have some hr uh, leaders that just it's not their forte, right? This is, I mean, just like, you know, we have people in the legal profession that don't necessarily know AI. That's not part of what you go to law school for, right? (laughs) And the same way HR people, you know, they don't go to to be human resources folks, um, you know, and take courses in AI. So how should they know this information? What instead, um, you know, needs to happen is you've got to really pay attention to what is this data being trained on? Um, Because the lifeblood of AI is the data. And the data um, is what trains this machine learning capability. And you know what? Actually, Brett, now that I think about it, we should probably back up and just talk about what are we even talking about when we say AI? Right, right, right. right.
1: And that's fair. And uh, real quick, uh, you you just... uh, you led with something about some lawyers aren't versed in AI. Just a quick, quick uh, observation. Many lawyers, perhaps myself, are artificially intelligent. What do ah. you? What, are you? what, are you? what are you? Okay. So I'm not you, laughing you, at that. No, I take it back. <laughs> I don't laugh
0: at that. <laughs>
1: you read my. You read my mind. Let's back up. Let's back up. So hiring tools. You know what clients I represent who both make the uh, hiring tools and the end users who license them or purchase them. The, the, the sales pitch, Courtney, is use AI. It takes the bias, the human bias of the frontline recruiters and the hiring managers, and it erases it, poof, use AI. So what are we <laughs> yeah. talking about and, and how to back it up, what are, set the table for our listeners, and, and let's go from there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So AI, as we talk about it right now, is really a narrow version of what most people think of when they think of AI. Like when I when I say AI to like you know Grandma or Grandpa Jones, they say, "Oh, like them, they're robots," you know, and that kind of Skynet and Terminator, you know, stuff like that. Like I'm having to you know uh, expand upon my uh, uh, my Southern accent to tell you how my grandparents would talk. But anyway. But, but <laughs> that aside, um, what AI really is, is actually today we use it in a narrow sense and it's it's machine learning capabilities that are done for a specific task. So for all intents and purposes, think back to your stats classes, um, back in, you know, Econ 101 or wherever you happen to have your first stats class. <laughs> and uh, that's, That's kind of like on steroids, what we're talking about. And it's usually being done to perform some specific tasks. We haven't really conquered what they call artificial general intelligence, which is more of the on par with human intelligence, understanding the context in the same way that a human would. What and we're talking about is this logic,
1: you know. Right. That's a great <laughs> clarification. I'm glad you, you know, all my guests make that point. You made it more succinctly and in lay terms, and I like that. Um, the Terminator's not going to knock on our door yet and take <laughs> us away. Not yet. <laughs> uh, but yeah. But let's let's focus on hiring. So so, keen off what you said, which again was great because it was non-lawyerly and made total sense. Is if I want to create an algorithm, which is just a mathematical formula dumbed down. I mean, a dumbed down definition of an algorithm is inputs into a mathematical formula. And I want to try to figure out who the best employees would be for organization X or company Y. You know, this is really getting to your area. What are the basic ways you, you would do that. You have an algorithm, you need data, but, but how do you figure out what to do with the data and what, how to make the algorithm work?
0: That's right. And so the, you're thinking about it absolutely you know, the best way possible because the first thing that data scientists do is they say, okay, what tools do we have to be able to discern what makes a good employee and what doesn't? And first they'll, they'll turn to HR experts and they'll say, what makes a good employee and what doesn't? <laughs> and the HR people will say, oh, that I know, I can tell you that. You know, or I think I know that answer. Or I can tell you how we traditionally uh, have known that there are good employees because, you know, most people want to replicate what appears to be a good employee, right? We don't want to replicate people who maybe have had bad performance in the past. But even that, Even that simple statement that I just made right there that seems like a very common sense approach actually carries with it a lot of baggage when it comes to bias and, you know, all of the um, racial, uh, you know, situations that we find ourselves in today in corporate, um, you know, context. When we really think about it, we have to go back and even rethink what is the performance metrics that have gotten us here in terms of who normally gets the good ratings and how are the managers, what do the managers and the executives who give the ratings look like? What are they like age-wise? What are they like racially? What are they like ethnically? Um, Are they giving, um, you know, the best performance ratings to those who are just like them? Or do they actually have a very diverse? So you have to literally rethink what you think you know. Um, So so let me jump
1: in there. Let me jump in there. I represent a huge, successful fill in the blank, biomed company, tech company, and I am head of H.R., And I am trying to increase efficiencies, and I want to avoid bias, but my CEO wants to drive sales. So I find this great AI vendor, and I allow them to access all the people who have applied to my company in the last 10 years, all the people who have been promoted in the sales organization within X period of time. And then I lay this one out. I say, you know you know who's a successful salesperson? I can tell you, looking at President's Club every year, it's the football players, the ones in high school who played football. They're hard charging, they, they work really hard, they're leaders, they're captains. So can you uprate in your algorithm? Can you search for candidates who are football players? That's fine, right, Courtney? No problem there. <laughs>
0: right and this this is exactly thank you for making that very explicit to everyone with a with an example story because that's exactly how the bias starts to to happen um because we know that systemically speaking Everything you're going to do is you're going to take data from your own company from within its means. And you're going to say, you know, I know exactly what makes a good employee. Look at these pieces of evidence right here uh, based on past performance and who's been in the what do you call it? The president's club and all of that good stuff and who's been sent to Hawaii every year or whatever. But what in fact may have happened, you know, is yes, in fact, there actually may be a bias, uh, you know, towards a friend of a friend of a cousin of a whatever. (laughs) And so what happens is AI just serves to amplify that bias because you'll say, well, give me the football head of the whatever who's been in the, president club for six years. And in fact, then you're gonna project that onto your applicant tracking system, which is a whole bunch of people that you put, put into a big old database that you've been collecting from all of these um, applications. Maybe you've you've run some really re- high-end recruitment events. These applicant tracking systems are worth millions of dollars, quite frankly, Um, with the amount of resources that human resources have spent in in just trying to get all of these different um, great talent together. And let's not forget, talent is a huge competitive advantage for companies. We cannot ignore the strategicness of this. And we also can't ignore how big the impact is to society when we leave different groups out because we think that in the past we have done our best performance metrics. um, And then we base in the future, any future candidates that look just like those exact same people. So what we're saying to sum it all up, and long story short, is we're looking into the past to determine the future.
1: And and so I I think a couple of things to mine out of what you just said, AI isn't good or bad. It is only an analytical data device that allows humans to make decisions. Right? That's that's what exactly. it is. Exactly. Okay. All so, so it is. Let's go back to my hypothetical, Courtney. I'm not sexist. I'm I'm not discriminating against women. I'm looking at an objective criteria. My lead best salespeople—not all of them, but but a, a characteristic I've seen at this company for 25 years—is people who play football and are captains or leaders do well in sales. Why is that a problem? Why should why why shouldn't the algorithm up up rank football players for candidate selection? What's wrong with that? Well, it's
0: because it will leave out others who actually could provide provide a whole... Oh, okay, let's just make this very practical. So for that particular scenario, the sales scenario, you, you could potentially have a whole new diverse area that you haven't even explored as a company because you only keep hiring the exact same types of people. Well, let's face it, after a few more football players, and I don't want to disparage any football players out there, but after a few more football players, how much of a diverse audience are you going to have? How, how many more customers can you reach just continuing to get just these same exact people over and over? And how rich will your company be because of it uh, in terms of, diversity in terms of culture, in terms of the clients that they can even uh, flexibly reach, you know, you, you, you aren't very, you're kind of stuck. If something goes wrong with your one group, Um, you know, you're going to be stuck in a rut and not be able to get yourself out. So it's best to diversify yourself.
1: In, and and, and in Courtney, I'm going to <laughs> go out on a limb, Courtney, you, you didn't play high school or college football, did you?
0: I didn't No. And
1: so what 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 we're doing inadvertently is selecting out basically women only because historically women haven't played football in high school or college. My now,
0: favorite is the Jared example from Amazon, right? <laughs> they right. literally actually started picking in on, on people's name, Jared, which <laughs> is so fascinating what these things pick up on. but
1: Right, yeah. and, and so we can amplify this in all different ways, but where I'm getting at is I don't have bad intentions, and the computer no, scientists making right. the algorithms probably don't either. No. So what is it that on the business side, the creation side, the marketing side of these algorithms, the testing side, what is it that you think should be done to ensure that these algorithms aren't excluding protected categories of potential, in this case, we're talking about employment, so potential workers, and this would be the same in large regard for loaning, bank loans, and uh uh, other areas of society but we're focusing on employment just because we don't we have a limited amount of time what what is your advice as an expert in this field what should those folks do who create these algorithms uh be be doing and looking for to ensure that there isn't this embedded or implicit bias well and i mean bias is is actually
0: only one area, a big one, albeit, where things are going very wrong in AI. But most of like 90% of what's going wrong in AI has to do with the data. And it has to do with the data that's being trained, as well as the the purpose um, for which you are actually trying to use an algorithm or, or an AI or a machine learning capability. Because Whatever weaknesses you currently have, if you don't feel solid about your, well, since we're talking about hiring, if you don't feel solid about your human resources practices today, like if you have questions about whether or not the practices that you have in place for rewarding performance um, are truly uh, doing what you want as a company, and always to, to check yourself. Um, you always have to have guiding principles as a company. What are your general principles as a company? If your general principles as a company include diversity and inclusion, then your AI and what you're you're trying to accomplish need to include diversity and inclusion. And if you look at the very first steps, the three steps involved in in creating AI systems are, are this easy, data, algorithms, training, that's it. Data algorithm. If your data doesn't include the diversity that you are seeking, then you need to figure out how you're going to get the voice of the diverse people that you would like to see in your company into um, the the training uh, capability of an algorithm. So you, I'm
1: going to interrupt you there because that's such a great point. Again, common sense, but 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 deep. Let's take uh, give us an example where the right thinking company using data that they want to be ethical and not biased, but they know it's lacking in a specific area. What what is the right process to go about remedying a hole that isn't created by the AI producer, the man, the maker of the AI, but exists because, for example, historically, CEOs were white males in their 50s. OK, right. that's just the data set. But we don't want to exclude women in their 30s who can be excellent CEOs, better than men in their 50s. What is how do they go about doing that from a practical standpoint, curing those those societal historical holes in, um, you know, diversity and inclusion?
0: Lawyers with their hard-hitting questions. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm being a, an investigative reporter um, is asking me questions right now. Good, good question, Brad. So the this is a hard one, and there is lots of controversy. But I, I won't, I won't to step around it. I won't tiptoe around it. I'll, I'll tell you frankly. I think that the best approach that I know of, right at this moment, and that's not to say that things can't change, but, but that I know of is that there are certain personality attributes that no matter where you came from, no matter your socioeconomic standing, no matter rural, urban, race, whatever, you have certain personality characteristics that are the same. Um, And I think that if you can go after some of these um, personality characteristics, such as maybe you're an ambitious, go-getting, you know, go-getting, hard-charging kind of person, and you can be that no matter what What you do, you can be that in sports or you can be that as, you know, person in charge of the PTO. I don't know. But, you know, you can you can do that and you can apply that no matter who you are. A woman, a man, uh, you know, anybody. Um, And I would say that those are very, very hard to measure, which is going to make a challenge and it's going to take extra time. But there are tools out there that that are that are for that purpose, and industrial um, psychologists everywhere, organizational behaviorists, um, they are out there to to help with these exact types of tools. And I think that um, you know we really need to pay attention more to those types of tools, uh, and and you'll have to do actual you know real interviews without AI involved <laughs> to get right. to some of these. Now, the, there are plenty of AI, um, you know, people who will say, no, I can do a test with to, to get at that. But <laughs> I, I would say just start everything carefully. Um, don't just go all in and I know the temptation is there. Hey, look, the reason why these 10 senators wrote this letter to the EEOC, which by the way, now there's a new, um, you know, a new head of this, a new chair for the EEOC, but, um, you know, since then even, so, I I mean, the reason they did this is because, you know, they had, they had challenges around this and they wanted to see, you know, could, can we figure out how to get this, um, you know, changed for for the better and um, for folks. And so anyway, uh, I well, think, I, you know, go yeah, go, no, you go ahead, you go ahead. I, no, I, go think, ahead. Well, I
1: think the danger there is that the senators come from a place that where they acknowledge systemic racism, their remedy is, is to say, force the AI producers and users to turn over everything uh, you know, the, the, about the algorithm and, and give it to the government to test and look at. And personally, I'm not sure that's the right solution. But I would say there has to be accounting for systemic racism in hiring and promotions, et cetera. And it is on the computer science community and those who advise them in all capacities to make sure these algorithms aren't excluding people that are not to be excluded. And I know you've talked a lot about the risks of excluding. I think this was in the financial sector. We talked about it, excluding people from getting loans and getting access to capital markets and things of that nature. That's one of the things you've looked at, right? Yes. Yeah, we call
0: it allocation bias is huge. I mean, look, there's going to be quite a few risk cases as, as everybody in, in legal is looking at these situations. And certainly AI and hiring carries one of the biggest because it carries one of the biggest allocation biases, which is, you know, when you actually are denying someone some sort of a resource because of their classification. I mean, we see every day on the other type of bias, which is representational bias, right? Which is more identity-based. Um, and we see those politically, gender, um, socioeconomic ones. We see a lot of those when we're talking about social media um, AI practices. Um, But yeah, allocation biases are ones that cause us not to get our homes, not to get loans for education, um, you know, all the things that matter in our lives that aren't related to our, our identities of our, our, our views of ourselves, right?
1: <laughs> so the stakes, the stakes are super high. Let, let me just sort of move this to both sides of the, 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 the equation. And maybe if it's, you know, you want to talk about AITruth.org or, or your strategic roles. Let's start with the manufa- I call it the manufacturer, the developer of the AI algorithm, and let's just use hiring. And and I want to develop an algorithm that does the right things the right way and then go to market and say, use this because we've tested it. Use it because it'll eliminate or greatly minimize bias by human decision makers. What would be your words of advice for that, the, the creator of the algorithm?
0: For the creator of the algorithm, they're going to have to make sure that whatever data that the company does want them to use, and especially if the company, if the HR individuals say something like, I would like to base this on my best um, performers, then you're, as an AI company, you're gonna have to go look at the diversity of the performers and just to see if they have a systemic problem to begin with because you're only going to amplify that. Um, if you are an AI um, hiring. By the way, we've talked about that. We, we just had these kind of discussions up on a world economic forum, AI and hiring. Um, they're doing a, we're, well, I'm part of it, but we're doing a vendor assessment um, yeah. just for this exact purpose, because we know HR people don't know a ton about AI or the vendors or what their technologies do. And so they would make these requests, right And these this is one of the typical requests make this look just give us carbon copies of our best employees basically. And right. we know we know, you know that's going get get both the AI hiring group in trouble as well as getting the the um, HR folks in trouble because we've seen, that data in the past, just based on you know studies, <laughs> research from the past of who has been exceeding, succeeding and who hasn't, and and we know that, by the way, we are at an all-time low for women in the workplace right now. We had caught up to, I think, like 50%, uh, almost a 50-50 split, and then we went way back down as of COVID. So, I mean, this is a real problem. Uh, And so we're going to be, you know, having to evaluate, um, you know, hiring solutions and what's in a, in a whole, in a very rigorous way, especially the legal risk that's gonna come from the EEOC and, and the potential fines that will be coming from them, as well as you, nobody wants to be a bad person. So, I mean, right. you don't have to be forced to do the right things, but it will certainly be harder because we're about to see, I think, as, as more and more people get vaccinated, we're also gonna see an uptick of the use of AI at the very same time that we're trying to like slap some training wheels onto it, right? So, right. <laughs> So we're going to be, we're going to, it's going to be a little painful. And I would just say, you know, do some tests, try out specific roles and be careful. Um, you know, if, if you are, uh, if you're a legal person advising HR groups right now, just, you know, tell them, be careful. And if you are advising the Silicon Valley groups that are helping to create the AI or wherever in the world they are, because we all know it doesn't just happen in Silicon Valley, but um, wherever in the world the AI are, the AI people are developing this, they need to have some expertise in human resources and in the EEOC practices. What And everybody in every country in the world just about has a version of the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunities. And so, right. you know, you just, ha- you have to take a look at those and you have to be mindful and you have to know that data is going to, traditionally, historically be biased towards, I mean, I hate to say it, at least in European countries in the U.S., going to be biased towards males and probably in the U.S. towards white males. So right. you just and, have to and, be very careful.
1: And the, and this, what you're saying, could get quite complicated with regression and statistical regression analysis to, d- to determine if there's pay disparity and all sorts of things. So good advice. So now, I'm on the consumer side. I want to purchase or license this from a vendor, and I'm going to recommend it up to my procurement people, my, my VP, my C-suite. Hey, you know what this is going to do? It's going to dramatically decrease recruiting costs, and it's going to dramatically lower the risks of lawsuits, uh, discrimination lawsuits, failure to hire lawsuits. This is great. It's plug and play. Uh, we, you know, we can do for a million dollars, we can get this suite of services for this amount of time, and we're going to save $8 million. It's great. Any any issue there?
0: Well, obviously, pe- that is exactly the reason why people want to use it. And it's really time to hire, honestly, because they want to get the best. Uh, so I don't know if you know uh, this dynamic about the recruiting world, but about 96% uh, of recruiting is done by um Getting uh, passive candidates, which is they only want. Have you ever heard the ha- heard the term that it's be- easier to find a job while you have a job? Yeah, yeah, that's because they're looking for people outside in in the existing jobs that they want you to come do at a new company. And so, um, anyway that that definitely um, that definitely reinforces bias. <laughs> by yeah. the way, because. If you're an executive at one company, then you you won't even open up the aperture to let um other people in, and you're probably going to use a lot of social media statistics and AI in social media to try and find your candidate and what are they talking about and um and that kind of thing, and uh, and they create you know a profile for a job. It as a matter of fact, it's kind of scary because there's a particular uh, group uh, a, a AI hiring vendor that has stated that they want to own particular roles in a particular industry. And the reason that's scary is because let's say, you know, we just talked about the fact that as a company, you So let's take it from the corporate standpoint of an HR person who has spent all this time, money, resources, uh, building up these very competitive um, talent databases. And an AI vendor comes in and they say, well, I want to own bank teller or something um, in the banking industry. If you get excluded, let's say you had three different interviews at three different banks as as an interviewee. So let's switch roles again, real quick. If you can keep up with me here, yeah, um, I'm with you. I'm as with an interviewee, you. you go to interview, and and all and you've gone to three different groups for bank telling because that's what let's, let's just say that, that that's something that you know you wanted to do in in uh, school or something. So you come out, that's what you're doing, and all three decline you. Well, that's because one person, one one, I mean, one uh, vendor owns the entirety of a category. There's so many implications here. One for society, which is, my gosh, I could get blacklisted from an entire industry if my AI interview doesn't go well, or if my AI profile doesn't look like what they were hoping it would look like, or if they're basing it on what their best employees look like, which is probably going to be a lot the same across industries, right? So that's going to block me out forever. Or two... Let's take it back to the corporate standpoint. You just let your your intellectual, or maybe not intellectual property. I, I'm using legal terms I have no business using here, but you're letting something very valuable as your data that you have taken all of this time and effort to build and and um, uh, ref, you know crunch through and make sure that it was perfect, and you're keeping it all, you know something that could potentially become a competitive advantage for your company. You just, you just gave that to the vendor and it is now theirs. And in fact, it, it is, it's a problem that I hear repeatedly because vendors can then take your data, pair it with their algorithm and the use case and file it as a patent that they now own. And so I would say you have to be very careful if you're a corporation not to help with things that at least go into it, knowing, um, you know, what, what the potential is and that you want to definitely, um, ask the advice of your legal people. <laughs> and if you're a legal person, you need to tell them, Hey, if you don't proceed with me cautiously here and let me know what's going on. Cause I'll tell you now, having been on the inside part of this, I'm I'm not going to lie and now every every legal person is going to hate me but, but you're seen as a roadblock you're seen right. as a roadblock but you're a roadblock to innovation get out of my way
1: <laughs> that's, right. that's
0: what we that's what we have typically thought
1: <laughs> so let's sort of go back to the corporate analysis what is it that I should ask the vendor who's selling me this algorithm what assurances not I'm not talking about purely legal I'm talking about ethical and and business-wise, what is it I want to know from this vendor?
0: I think you want to do a real good history check of how much expertise they actually have in your area. So if you are in HR or whether you're in operations or whatever it is, or maybe it's some kind of specialty in actuarial science or something, I don't know. Whatever the case may be, you wanna really check and make sure they have expertise because a lot of data scientists don't believe they need to have expertise in your industry. But honestly, they do because they don't know the pitfalls um, that some of their techniques could result in for you, such as the biases that could potentially land you on the EEOC radar, and, and also um, derail your diversity and inclusion efforts.
1: And and w- any other uh, you know large headline type questions, from a business practice standpoint, you think uh, companies should ask these AI vendors?
0: Oh my gosh. Well, this is why we've been working months, uh, <laughs> I've been working for months with the World Economic Forum to really get the all of those out on the table as to all the different varied things you need to be asking uh, vendors. But definitely um, the legal, uh, the, the potential for risks, um, you know, it's just uh, you want to include things like, you know, where did your data come from? Where did you source it? How did you put it together? Um, Are you, so for example, what are your plans uh, for, for my data? Um, You know, have you, uh, are you keeping this, make sure that you get, um, you know, some legal contractual language that will prevent them from taking your data and putting it into, to anything that they may want to do in the future, um, without your knowledge. Um, you'll want to know what are their plans for implementation? Because sometimes the things that they tell you they're going to do, they might actually switch on their own. Um, and they may implement, um, you know, this algorithm in a way that you didn't intend. Um, also, uh, you know, work with them to understand how fast could you withdraw, your um, solution from the market so uh, for example if you paired up together to try to understand and maybe you decided hey we came up together you know as a partnership with this with this ai vendor with such a great solution that other companies actually want to use it which is happening by the way even in hiring um then you may have to figure out well what's the you know how, how fast could we withdraw this who owns the product and the who owns the the end outcome. Um, And again, that kind of goes back to what I was talking about um, with them being able to declare it as their own, and then they can actually own some portion of your data as well. Um, And then, you know, um, the basic gist is in all things, really look at what are the stakes here? Are we talking about we're going to potentially exclude a whole lot of people? And then what's the upside of this AI solution versus the downside? If if the upside is greater than the downside, then great, go for it. And if this vendor has a, you know, background of, of uh, you know, working with you, or if they're just a fly-by-night kind of group with no, you know, Nothing. Uh, nothing to prevent them from behaving badly. Maybe you want to reconsider working with them.
1: Right. So. And So the, the, these areas, it's interesting. The, the business and legal risks really merge quickly when we're talking about the, this sort of unregulated uh, emerging area um, that's that's got great promise but great risks. And maybe that's a good segue um you started ai-truth.org what is that
0: um and i am so glad that you're giving me a chance to talk about that i really want to quickly just say that um just backing uh, one more second sure. um, to the previous conversation, I want to say, I think that companies should really declare a set of guiding principles um, because this will keep you on track and keep you accountable and, let, and do it not just internally, but publicly, because I know the way that AI works is in little pockets all across the businesses that you're probably working with as legal um, folks. It, it, it's in everything from HR to hiring, I mean, to, to marketing, to operations, you name it, they're everywhere. Um, and so if you give everybody a, a, and publicly state them, it'll keep everyone accountable and also get them out of those sticky situations because they can, you know, bust out their, oh, well, you know, it's those legal people. They have a policy about this. So, I mean, that's what policies and, and training and, you know, get compliance people involved, really operationalize the principles but first you have to declare some, right. And then, and then really decide on a governance model to make sure that people don't, don't start um, behaving in risky ways. That that's probably the most important thing I could tell you as legal people. AI, yeah. go Yeah.
1: That's a great, great point. I mean, most companies I've come across in my career uh, want to do the right thing. And, and, They need guidance sometimes on how to do that. Not always legal guidance, sometimes business and ethics guidance. But I think what you just said, it would be a courageous step for companies in the AI space to do, which is establish those guiding principles and be public about them, not just with their employee base, but with the world in general. So I think that's really solid advice. Um, Aitruth.org, what is it?
0: Yeah. So this is my nonprofit effort. Um, so there's three areas to it. Um, a- one is, you know, educating everybody about how AI uh, works in general in layman's terms, just like we talked about here, um, you know, uh, and then really trying to, to make people understand how much AI is just a part of their lives and how much it can actually affect their daily You know, whether or not they get a mortgage, if someone, hey, you know, with the riots at the Capitol, what if someone thinks you look like someone else that was there, you know, using facial recognition? Well, just knowing that facial recognition is not all the way up to speed, you know, um, that it gets it wrong a lot of times. Um, Would be helpful to know if you got pulled in by the police, for example, and you weren't there and you don't even believe in that, you know. So, um, you know, those are the kinds of things I I think people need to know. And the second mission of AI truth is really to change the behaviors and beliefs of the data scientists and those who fund those projects internally, which are usually C-suite level people. Um, And that's where a lot of, you know, just having these talks like what we're talking about right now, where thing, where can things go wrong? How have they gone wrong? I mean, I've seen people overwrite their entire IT policies that they've spent years working on in their, in their enterprise resource planning systems, even so like the oracles of the world and so forth in their Salesforce systems by simply having an AI vendor who came in and was ambitious, who accidentally changed some of their major corporate um, policies and systems, literally, IT systems got changed and then people got um, you know treated badly as a result. Um, and then so and then third is uh, you know, really trying to help uh, more of the government efforts, help them understand um, how AI works, help them understand uh, you know the areas where they can step in and pro- maybe provide a little more overhead on regulations because let's face it. I hate regulations. I don't know of anybody I know that says, ooh, let me have some more regulations. I just love those. But what what the AI world seems unable to do is to take a step back from all of these agile methodologies agile is like a god in in ai world it makes you do things under time frames that you would never normally do as a human being you know <laughs> but in 6 to 8 weeks if you don't have a minimal viable product you're just nothing in the world of agile which is really what dictates the whole silicon valley you know, make, uh you know, breaking things and all that good stuff. So it's kind of, so we, we, anyway, we, we, we need to change a lot of these behaviors. We need to change a lot of these rules that they don't have and, and give people a little more help. Um, by giving them the air cover to say, well, we shouldn't do that, it's illegal. Or, you know, we're gonna get a fine or whatever. (laughs) Because sometimes people need that to step away from the competition because competition in the AI space becomes like a frenzy, like a mob mentality almost. (laughs) Who can get to the patent first, right?
1: (laughs) So really one of the goals of AITruth.org is to help the average citizen have a better understanding of what AI is and how it's being used in their life. Is that accurate?
0: That's accurate.
1: Okay. Well, Courtney, I, I think we could go on for hours uh, talking about all of these things, but I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, I want you to keep in touch and let us know if anything else is going on. And um, I- I'm really thankful that someone with your expertise has joined us today. Are there any sort of closing thoughts you want to share?
0: I think we've covered quite a bit today. If anyone ever has any questions for me, I am an advisor for the Fortune 500s on these kinds of things. Anything at all from, you know, hey, I want to consider all the risks of these, um, you know, AI use cases that that certain uh, folks within my company or my clients externally are thinking about, you know, you name it. To, to running exploration of those use cases, so I- anything I can help with, I'm here for. So, um, and there's a couple of ways to get a hold of me. You can contact me through AITruth.org, which has my email on there, or you can contact me through Courtney well, And- Well, uh,
1: yeah. Courtney, thanks for joining. Uh, I'm Brad Newman, your host. Thank you very much for uh, listening. And uh, our next one, we will have a former judge joining us talking about uh, several technical and legal issues surrounding AI. But Courtney, thank you again for joining and uh, we'll talk soon.
0: Thank you for listening to the ABA Business Law Sections podcast series to the extent that. The section offers a robust collection of content. To explore more about this topic or to learn about joining the section, visit ambar.org slash bizlaw. That's B-I-Z-L-A-W.